series we've taken. It's about the longest series I've done, actually, isn't it? But I'm glad I didn't preach them all. But we've, uh, we're in number 27, I think, so far. Michael preached on the resurrection last week. Today we're looking at what's supposed to be ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be concentrating on the coming of the Holy Spirit, but those two are together. Jesus ascends and sends the Holy Spirit to be with us. And it's all part, for those who are not only just here for one week, we're, we're looking at how God's big story fits together. From the beginning of Genesis, <coughs> that right the way through, the, when, when God, God's creation was perfect, but within moments, isn't it? Within the third, third chapter, creation falls, man has been sinful, and everything is on a downward path. <coughs> that didn't take God by surprise, Right? His salvation plan was in place from before the beginning, before the creation of the world. And we wanted, we've been looking through the scriptures, how the whole area of God choosing unto himself a people, God using those covenants, God setting aside temple worship, God using those kings and then those prophets, and then the coming of John the Baptist and the incarnation of his son Jesus, the word and the works and the miracles, the wonders of Jesus all fit together in his purpose of bringing this kingdom to fruition. And we're at the place where actually now it's the coming of the Holy Spirit in the next few weeks we're going to be looking at from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Michael's going to preach again next week. We get twice in three weeks. You know, I have to start paying him. <laughs> um, and then uh, Don's going to be sharing about the letters that the church expanding through uh, its mission work and sending of those letters and then we get to Revelation where actually in history we haven't got to yet I don't believe it's very far away (laughs) but actually that point of Revelation is when God brings the whole of his kingdom into its fullness for us now we just have a foretaste you see The time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is known as the last days. Right? When Jesus comes again and judges, that will be the last day, so to speak. But we're in this period of the last days between his first and his second coming. It's a period of time that will include the whole of the New Testament and the letters and the church and through the history right up to our present day and beyond until God brings his kingdom into fullness. We can picture it like this, and some of you may have seen this kind of diagram before. We've got this kind of um, the two ages, this intersection between two ages, this present age, which included the first coming of Jesus, that very first Christmas, and then there's the age to come that will include the second coming of Jesus. But these ages, in a sense, overlap. And we're in this place where the kingdom of God is can be lived and breathed. And so the phrase that often people will use is the kingdom that is now, but it's not yet. We have a taste of that kingdom now, but we haven't got all of that now. It's not yet. There is something that we experience in the here and now, but there is the best still to come. There is more still to come. The kingdom of God came with the appearance of Jesus on the earth. He spoke of the kingdom being present and uh, in, a, in a reality that 
could be experienced. And he manifested the kingdom through his own presence. Wherever Jesus went, the kingdom of God could be experienced. Which is why we looked at some of his words, why we looked at some of his statements, why we've looked at some of the, the wonders, the way Jesus would do things, his whole ministry. Anyone can enter the kingdom and experience a taste of its power if we come to Jesus. We don't see Jesus in the flesh. We come by faith. But you can taste and see that God's kingdom is here and you can experience something of it. You can experience the transformation because Jesus becomes your king and your life is changed. And if that's something you haven't yet experienced, then I pray today will be a day when the penny drops. Where you will actually just want to say, I want to draw near this person called Jesus. Time and time again, I will always been saying it, I seem to say it every other week, the gospel is about who Jesus is and what does he do. And if you haven't answered those questions fully in your own heart and mind, then I beg you to wrestle with it. Maybe you live here, maybe you're on holiday, but maybe this will be the time when you wrestle with it. I need to know who Jesus really is. And I need to know what he really did. And when you come to terms with those things, it's going to change your life. I don't think you can be the same person when you really look at those and deal with those questions. The kingdom is also something that not we, we don't just taste now. It's something we're still waiting for. Because we haven't got it in fullness. Only when Jesus returns again will the kingdom come in its fullness. And Jesus then will say to his people, as the verse says in Matthew 25, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take up your inheritance for the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world belongs to you. It's yours. And if we put our trust in Jesus and what he did for us via the cross and the resurrection, then we belong to that new creation. We've not received all its blessings yet. The best is still to come. We still live presently in a fallen world. We've seen evidence of that this week, haven't we? Not just what we see in other nations, but maybe what we see in ourselves. I wonder if anyone could put their hand up and say, I've been perfect this week. Do I get any volunteers? I'm not going to be building that little shrine in the corner. I did want a perfect person for all their life, but I can't even get one for a week. It's not going to happen, is it? We still live. Even though most of us here today may be Christians and we've tasted of the kingdom, we know that we haven't got it all yet. We know that our sins are forgiven and that Jesus is my Saviour and my Lord, but I still struggle with sin. And I need to come daily and be refreshed and Washed, so to speak. In 2016, we're still waiting. 2,000 years is not a long time in God's perspective of things. He deliberately delays the second coming so that more people have a chance to hear the gospel and to repent before it's too late. Peter wrote it like this, in the last days scoffers will come and they will say, where is this coming that he promised? I don't know if you've ever had people say that to you. 
Oh, you worship Jesus, do you? You worship God? Well, where is he? Where? What is he doing? Well, the Bible said that's what would happen. And we need to be aware of that. Peter goes on in those same verses. I don't know if we... Yes, we've got it on the screen there. You know, he goes on, Do not forget, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. For the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. <coughs> As some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is, a, this is something we just need to have in our hearts. God wants, wants no one, not wanting anyone, no one to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Will everyone repent? No. So this isn't a decree of God's will where it's, it, it will happen. It's a desire of God's will. He desires that all would come. But he knows that not everyone will. Now is the time between that first coming and that second coming of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, just as Jesus has made clear. You see, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. I used to kind of um, have some friends some years ago, just as we were singing now, we're going to wait upon the Lord. And in their frame of mind, as I got to know them, waiting upon the Lord meant we don't do anything. We just, we just sit back and we wait. I don't find that in the Bible. When Paul was waiting on the Lord, you found him singing praise. You found him praying while he was in a, in a prison cell. You found him sharing the gospel and converting jailers. And all sorts. Waiting didn't mean do nothing. It means to wait on God for him to move, but we have this period of time, this gospel age that we live in, where we have a job to do. Before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he told his disciples this. Let me read to you. I've read it from Acts 1. I'm going to read it to you from Luke chapter 24. If I can find the right verse. Here it is. He told them, This is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what the Father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You see, God is wanting us. There's in every passage that we, we read in terms of this ascension and the coming of the Spirit, there is a, both a command and a promise. You see, the command is to go and proclaim this gospel to the whole world. That's basically why we're still here. Hmm? You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be greater singers of praise songs than we ever were on earth. <laughs> when we get to heaven, our prayers will be perfectly answered. When we get to heaven, there will be no space to witness to anyone to share the gospel so that they might have their eyes open and receive forgiveness and find salvation. 
That's why we're still here. To be involved in the work that God has left behind for us. We're not just waiting, sitting, thinking, well, can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be wonderful, isn't it? We're about God's business. There's a command and there's a promise. The command to go with the gospel to the whole world. That's a pretty huge task for a bunch of weak-willed men in Jerusalem at that time. They were frightened, but there was a promise that was there with it. They were not going to be left on their own. God promises them the power of the Holy Spirit. God's own presence with them. It's the same command. We see it in Luke, we see it in Matthew, we see it in Acts chapter 1 that I read at the beginning. And Jesus, as we look at the Acts, Jesus is talking to the disciples and the disciples kind of ask Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So this reveals how little they understood. We've got a visiting past here. I won't, cha- I, won't, I won't quite challenge anything, but I bet you've got people in your church that you have preached to and taught time and time again, and then you talk to them and they haven't got it at all. <laughs> and I know, we know that feeling. We've got other pastors here as well. We know that feeling. We all know it in our house groups as well. I've, I don't know, I've told this a dozen times, and the penny hasn't dropped. You know? And just like we had those baptisms the other week, you know, and, and Joe was saying, you know, how they all, you know, he's been teaching them for years, but they go to Soul Survivor and the penny drops. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, that's, that's okay. Jesus had the same thing. He's been all these three years with these disciples, and it, the time comes, he has died and risen again, and they still don't get it. They're kind of saying, you know, are you going to restore Israel? How little they understood. They still have not grasped that Jesus' concern was not limited to Israel, that his kingdom is for all people everywhere. They've yet to realize that they, there must be a delay in his return so that the gospel can be proclaimed in the power of the Spirit. And when Jesus ascends to heaven and an angel reassures them, you know, you read it in Matthew's version, the same Jesus who was taken away from you to heaven will come back in the same way. And they were, to, they were to have a job, first of all. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. There's no point us sitting back doing nothing because God wants us to go to all the world and preach to all the nations. Well, we're going to see what that means a bit this morning and over the next few weeks. I want us this morning to concentrate on this little passage in Acts because it records Jesus' last, last meeting with his disciples. He commands and commissions them to reach the world with his message. The first thing that they had to do is he had to, had to overcome a distraction. Right Here in Acts chapter 1, it records they had to overcome a distraction. Jesus is trying to conduct the world's first missions conference. Yeah? And the disciples want to turn it into a prophecy conference. We get distracted too easily. Jesus is going to be telling you, you know, you have a task ahead of you. I'm going to give you the spirit and I want you to go into all the world. They've been thinking about 
well, is it the time for this? Is it the time for that? And Jesus has to tell them, look, stop talking about future things. Times and dates are not your concern. Now, I know that there are many people who are all, in one sense, interested in some things to do with the future. But I have to say to us as Christians, times and dates are not our concern. Our task is to take this gospel, this good news about Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit comes for. He comes to give us this power. He comes to put boldness in us, courage in us, so that we might go and share the goodness of Jesus. Not so that we sit around and speculate. Their responsibility was to be faithful and work while they waited. And nothing has changed. Our duty is not to get caught up with future events or theological disputes that distract us from the main thing. We need to be careful that we don't allow Satan to distract us from our very purpose of why we're still in the world. Our duty is to be busy sharing Jesus. Verse 8 tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus commands his disciples living in all periods of history to be his witnesses. You see, we're not out of the loop. We are part of it. We have to go about the business of being his ambassadors. That's what we're to be, to share this gospel. And so this morning I want to share a few moments, a few thoughts on keeping the main thing the main thing. Do you want to say that with me? Keeping the main thing the main thing. Now, if you were a shoe salesman and uh, your shoe business wasn't going so good, so you kind of did a sideline in selling more shoelaces, because they're the things that break, aren't they? Shoes are perfectly good, I just need some more shoelaces. And so you concentrate on selling on the shoelaces. But actually, you won't sell the shoelaces if you haven't sold the shoes. And you see, you can get distracted. You can let the main thing become the small thing. And so we major on the minors. What we need to do is keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing that the church in our generation should be doing? That is a question for you to answer. (laughs) Silence. It's to reach the world, isn't it? To tell the world about Jesus Christ and all that he has done. To preach the gospel, to be his witnesses, to evangelize, to be on mission. Whatever vocabulary you want for it, that's the main thing. And our task My task this morning is to help us see that we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And I say it's the main thing because here, Jesus, the one who was crucified and the one who was resurrected from the dead and is about to ascend to heaven, he could have talked about absolutely anything. 
But his last words were this command and this commission to go and share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now if that was important to him, it should be equally important to us. And I'm not just preaching to Weymouth Baptist Church. I believe that the church of our generation needs to keep the main thing, the main thing. We're so easily distracted. So I want to share with you a number of things on keeping the main thing, the main thing. The first thing is we've got to have the right message. Jesus tells his disciples that you are to be my disciples. You see, Jesus is the focus of the message. We're not here to um, talk about our own lives, talk about our uh, beliefs, talk about our denomination, talk about our church, who's our favourite preacher. We've actually got to talk about Jesus. That's why the challenge comes. You know, you don't become a Christian because you've talked about the history of the church. You get back to who is Jesus and what did he do? It's the heart of the gospel, this is. You can ask all sorts of other things. Was he good? Did he heal people? Did did he say good things? Did he encourage people in this way? Yes, he did. But what did he really do? What was the crux of it? Of who he is? God in the flesh who died on a cross as a substitute to bring forgiveness to all that would call on his name. Got to have the right message. Jesus. Romans 1 tells us the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Prophecy saves no one. Healing saves no one. Huh? Speaking in tongues saves no one. Singing 20 worship songs doesn't save. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You've got to get to the gospel. And that's the heart of it, keeping this main thing the main thing. We have to share Jesus. That's why I will speak about Jesus a lot. I don't just talk about God, God this and God that, because God is like a smorgasbord. You can make him anything you want him to be. If you want to talk about God, you've got to talk about the God of the Bible then. You know, I've sat in the sauna and talked to chaps and they'll, they'll tell me, oh, my God's not like that. I even sat, had a lady a few, few weeks ago, actually, in, in church, sat just over there, we were having a conversation, and she said, oh, my God's not like that. I said, well, what, who, what God is that then? You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the God of Christianity, it's not the God of the Bible, this is just the God of your own imagination. It's the God you want him to be, not the one that he is. There's some things about God I wouldn't like him to be. I'd rather not. I'd rather not have hell. But it's not my decision. Get off the main thing. We're sent not to try and impress. I'm not trying to impress you with knowledge this morning. We haven't got to impress the world with our grasp of theology. You know, many people can understand theological theories and still not know Jesus. You know, I've got books on my, <laughs> I've got books on my bookshelf that I read at Spurgeon's College. <laughs> I'm telling Don about it, <laughs> or someone recently. You know, I won't let you borrow them because I know that they don't, they're written by people who don't even believe Jesus is God. They're not things that are going to encourage you. I don't know why I keep them, to be honest. Probably because I don't want someone else to read it. 
We have to be like the blind man when he was questioned after he received his sight like the Jews. What did the blind man say? He said, all I know is once I was blind, but now I see. Hmm? That's the message. Do you know something about Jesus and what he's done for you? Yeah? That's what you're to share. Do you know that God loves you? You can share that. And time and time and time again, people will say to me, oh, I don't know what to say. You say what you know. You say what you've experienced. We have to point people to Jesus. He is the only hope for the world. As someone once said, we're like one hungry person telling another hungry person where to find bread. Because actually Jesus is the bread of life. And he's the solution to the spiritual hunger that our world needs today. We need to point people to Jesus. So we need the right message, but we need the right mindset as well. And I think this is where Jesus was saying to, to, to his disciples. You know, just as a witness in a court of law might testify to the judge and jury, we need to witness to Jesus. We need to testify to the whole world. And that's a pretty big task. So Jesus breaks it down for us so that we can begin close and then move out. You see, most of us will never go to the uttermost ends of the earth. We've got people like Stuart and Kathy who spent a couple of years in Rwanda. We've had Mary go out to Namibia. And I'm sure others of you have gone to different places. I myself have gone to different foreign places. You know, not to live all my life there. Spend a few weeks, spend a few years maybe. But we have to make the most of those opportunities when we do is, do, do that. What we are told is we need to call to be serving in our Jerusalem. We're to witness to our families and our friends and our work colleagues and our neighbours. That's our Jerusalem. That's what they were told to do. Starting in Jerusalem and then going out. Anywhere where there's, there there's people. We're to be on a mission. We're to be living missional lives. It's the buzzword now, missional. If you get the opportunity to go to Judea, and I don't mean Judea in the geographic sense, but a little bit further away. You're going to Germany this week on a mission. I'm going on sabbatical um, in uh, the end of August. I'm going to go to Crete. I'm going to be on a mission. Why? Because Not because I'm deliberately on an evangelism program, but I need to live a life open for God wherever we are. John Wesley, great Methodist minister, just said, the world is my parish. We need to have that kind of mentality. Our mission field is wherever people are. I need to ask a question. Why aren't we telling the lost world that Jesus saves? Why don't we do that? Could it be that we really don't believe everything we claim to believe? Or at least we believe it intellectually, but we don't actually emotionally take hold of it and let it change our lives? 
Could it be that we're actually just the saved and satisfied? We don't want to go too far. don't want to be too extreme. Could it be that we have forgotten to keep the main thing the main thing? And we've been distracted by so many other things in church life. You see, we preach here every Sunday. We're involved in outreach ministries. Some of you do those things week by week, meeting people, the programmed ministries of the church. But you see, all those things are good. I hope this is good as well, week by week. But they do not take away from the individual responsibilities that you and I have personally to share the gospel with the people we meet. In a few moments' time, I'm going to pray. Gosh, time's gone already, so I better get on with it. But we're going to be closing. The church will leave the building. But it's from that point on, the church's work really begins. We're here being encouraged and strengthened and reinforced. But when we go, we need to go and spread the light and be salt and share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Starting exactly where you are, that's your Jerusalem, your neighbourhood, your workplace, sharing what we do know. Don't talk to me about, oh, I, I don't know if I could say that. Just share what you do know. That's how the Gospels are. If you read 1 John, he said, we share to you what we have seen and heard. What do you know? Share that. We need to have the right muscle if our message and, uh, is to have any power and our mindsets to be right then we need help from outside ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. People in the upper room were promised the Spirit of God was going to come upon them and when he did he would fill them with God's power. And on that day when they were filled with God's power on that first Pentecost they went out with boldness and 3,000 Souls were saved. 3,000 people came to the Lord. What made the difference wasn't their eloquence. It wasn't their oratory. It wasn't their way they delivered the message. What made the difference was that the power of God was upon them. And that's what we need, isn't it? We need the power of God upon us. Where did it come from? It came from the fact that the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in them. The same power that came to them is available to us today. If we're going to have power of God in our witness and through our words and our works, then we're going to have to get our lives in shape so that God can work through us. And God can pour out his spirit into our lives so that we have his unction and his power. I'm pray your prayer today will be fill me with the Holy Spirit. Release me from my fears so that I may go and be bold as a witness for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share something else, my fourth point, something that I've preached before and you may be able to preach it better than me but I still believe this is what we need to hear. We need to hear it time and time again. And that is actually that not only do we need the message and the mindset and the muscle we need to know God's method as well 
And I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus set out a method for evangelism of reaching the world that doesn't involve programs, doesn't involve having to, you know, have mass rallies, although they're good things, but as I said to you, they, they don't take away from our individual responsibility. So I want to share this thing with you. We're to be witnesses. Witness comes from the Greek word martyrs, those who bear witness to the truth. Literally where we get the word martyr from. People who bore witness to the point of giving up their lives. Now this isn't about myths and legends, this is about the truth. We are to witness for Jesus. We are to share what we have seen. And God is telling his people that we have to give away what we've received. I believe Jesus set out this method in Luke chapter 10. We've got some verses on the screen here. I'll I'll read it to you. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. My heart of hearts, I believe this is Jesus' method of evangelism. First thing he tells them to do is go and speak some blessings. I want you to, if, you, if you've heard me say this before, if you've heard it all before, great. Just, just let it reinforce. If you need to write it down, if you need to pray, I need to do this, do it then. Speak blessings upon those that you know. Speak peace. This is about our attitude to non-Christians. Right? This is about what our heart is towards the people around us. God told the, to the Jews when they were in exile in Babylon, and we looked at it back in this series, You know, they were to seek the prosperity of the city where they were in so that they would be blessed. So we're to do the same. For too long, Christians have been at war, so to speak, with the non-believers, as though it's an us-and-them mentality. We're all right here in church. Those people need to change. But we need to change. Jesus said he was the friend of sinners. So how dare we be their enemies? Too often when we speak to God about our community, it's only to complain about them. Moan about them. We need a change of heart. We curse and condemn people around us without even realising it. It's become part of our nature. We need to start praying positively for the people that you know. For the people who are around us. Praying for your neighbours. Praying for your work colleagues. Truly wanting them to prosper. Wanting them to be blessed. Jesus said this, I've read this in the prayer meeting this morning, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. We need to start positively praying for our neighbours. Not seeing as them out there. Secondly, see this follows on. If you're praying positively for them, you'll get to know them. You have fellowship with them. You don't rush in and start preaching at them. You just spend some time with them. You find some common ground. You enjoy some life together. And you eat what is set before you. Remember our rhythms for the year. We said one of the things this year is eat. 
to disciple each other, to disciple others, those who've not yet even begun the journey, just over a meal. It's the easiest place to get to know people and just encourage people. Eat what they set before you. Spending time with others provide the opportunity to show unconditional love to them. We need to learn from how Jesus treated Zacchaeus or how he treated the adulterous woman. He just spent time with them. He says, I'm going to come to your house. You come to mine. It's not them and us. We show respect. We love. We have real concern. Remember that they're made in the image of God just like us. Because everyone needs acceptance. Everyone needs acceptance. So don't be judgmental of people around. Don't be judgmental. You know, you curse your neighbours every time you say, oh, them across the road, they're disgusting, they come in at whatever time at night, they have this all this noise, and all you're doing is condemning them. And you start praying positively for them, blessing them, seeking a way to get to know them, invite them over for a barbecue or whatever. Everyone needs acceptance. We can accept people without approving of what they do. After all, that's the way Jesus dealt with us, first of all, isn't it? Build a relationship. It's where it starts. You don't have to agree with every life choice they have. Everyone wants affirmation. That means everyone wants support. Everyone needs understanding. We all face difficult times. We all need someone alongside us. Wouldn't it be great if you got alongside your work colleague? The one who's hinting at you that his marriage isn't as great as it used to be. Or that neighbour who's just lost their job. Or they've lost a loved one and they're going through bereavement. How one easy way of becoming more like Jesus is just to get alongside. The Holy Spirit is the one who gets alongside. I'm praying for them and before I know it, as I pray for them, an opportunity gets, comes along for me to get to know them better. Everyone wants assistance. Everyone will need help. And so the third thing in Jesus' method of reaching to people, he said, heal the sick. Now that's a supernatural answer to it, but it can be broadened out in any way you like it just means meet some needs meet their needs when we really get to know people and they know you and they begin to trust you they're going to disclose all sorts of things their marriage their infertility their addictions their wayward children and what can we do we can Encourage them. We can support them. We can offer practical help. Let me help with this. Let me do that for you. Can I pray for you? You've been praying for them already, but why not go public with that with them and pray for them, pray with them? In all my Christian life, very, very rarely have I had someone say no. You will be surprised. (laughs) You know about it. <laughs> I'll tell you the story, shall I? Sharon here, we prayed for her, she's off to Grand Canary, you know. First time I met her, she just gave me mouth, mouth, mouth. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, I, I, I said, well, can, we, can I pray for you? We stood at the door over there, I remember it directly, still in my mind, years ago, it must be ten, something more years ago, 
And I know a lot of you have given children help and support and encouragement. But I remember that day, I just said, I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer for you. And I prayed that you would not have peace until you've got peace with God. And she went back to Norwich, was it? From Clacton. And about nine months later, I saw her again. She stormed down the, the aisle here. You put a curse on me! <laughs> and I said, I didn't put a curse on you. I said, I wanted God to intervene in your life because you're still trying to just do it all in your own strength. Absolutely. 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 But we need to get to the point where we can pray with people. These are the friends. You don't have to, oh, should I share the four laws of spiritual truth or should I share evangelism explosion or should I get a tract? Why don't you just say, can I pray for that thing? You've shared that need with my neighbour, my work colleague, whatever it, whoever they are. Can I pray with you? Because you're taking this message, heal the sick. In the power of God's spirit, you want to offer to see God work. And you're saying, come Holy Spirit, you do something here. I was on the streets of Tottenham years ago. We were walking down. I prayed for a Turkish man. He told me his marriage was on the rocks. I prayed for him. The next night, he came to seek me out and said, I, I, you know, your God answers prayer. He was a Muslim. Your God answers prayer. Yes, he does. It had been the best night of his marriage, I think. I don't know. Well, I wasn't going to go into details, but you know, you know, life had totally changed. Why? Because we prayed in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I honestly believe that when we are bold, we can meet people's needs and we can heal the sick. We have to have an expectation. We have to have a faith. God is going to do something. Because I've already prayed for them. The opportunity, the spiritual um, environment, so to speak, is softened. Their hearts are open, their eyes are open, so that they're ready to kind of move from darkness to light. I've spent time with them. They know that I care. They know that you care. You want to spend time. And then you're bold enough to say, let me, let me take you to God. Let me bring God into this. He wants to do something for you. Risk it. Risk it. What have you got to lose? They might think you're a nutter. You are. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, just go out and meet some needs. I mean, I mean, you can do that practically. You can babysit for them. You can dig their garden. You can wash their car. You can give them a little... You know, the very things we find easy to do in the church, we should be doing outside of the church. Isn't it? In the church, we all say, oh, so-and-so needs this, let's all rally around, let's try and do that. We should be doing for the people that we know outside the church. Let's help. And let's believe that God is going to work. The Holy Spirit came that first Pentecost and gave power to the people. And he continues to come and lavishes us with spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts are not ours. We don't say, I've got the gift of this. No, we don't. I haven't got the gift of anything. They are God's gift delivered through the postman to the person who needs it. See yourself as that. They're a God's gift. All of these gifts, encouragements, healings, wholeness, you know, words of knowledge and understanding, comfort in and I'm going to make myself available to God to be a channel for that gift to the person who needs it. 
my neighbour, my work colleague, my estranged family member, whoever. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Pray for them, love them, spend time with them, be bold to get the Holy Spirit to touch their lives as you become a channel for them. And you know what? Fourth step, he says, declare the kingdom's come. Declare the kingdom's come. Why? Because when someone says, like that Turkish man, your God answers prayer. God does something. Well, you see, that's the kingdom. That is God. He's done this, not me. The spiritual climate has changed so much so. There will be a time then where we will speak of Jesus. I'm not trying to take them to the kingdom. We've taken the kingdom to them. Does that make any sense to you? I've said it before. I'll try and say it again. I probably will say it again. But I believe as we follow Jesus' pattern of taking the kingdom of God out, we'll see the Holy Spirit working through us, touching other people's lives, and we'll see the kingdom of God expanding. And then they're beginning to say, then people will say, I want to know some more. I want to know some more. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. That could be the biggest testimony you can share with someone. I've got more to say, but time has run out. I'd like us to stand up, please, for a moment. What if the worship band would just come and, and join me? I, you know, we'll have to close there. If there's more to say, but we'll. There's a verse in 1 Peter 3. It says, "Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do what's good?" <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> well, I'm eager to do what's good for the kingdom of God. Just see, to see His Spirit, to, to expect miracles. Yeah, our job is to pray for them. It's God's job to do it. I'm not twisting his arm and telling him what he's got to do. The Bible just says, ask. (laughs) You don't receive if you haven't asked. (laughs) Close our eyes for a minute. In fact, why don't you just turn with someone next to you. Rest your arm on their shoulder. I'm going to pray here, Jack. Rest your arm on their shoulder. uh, And maybe just pray these words. Dear Heavenly Father... Would you fill this person with your Holy Spirit? Will you give them the boldness to go and share Jesus? Will you give them the faith to expect miracles? Would you give them the grace to be friendly? Give them the heart to love people around them. Oh God, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. pray. Amen. 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 The Holy Spirit came and it came into their Jerusalem and it went to Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Let us sing as we close the service. Jack, you lead us in this song. Praise God.